Blog Talk Radio.
But happy anniversary. How, how many years is it? 30, 31. 31. I'm telling you, that takes some, that takes some doing. That takes some doing. Just put up with him that long. Okay, well, it makes, you know, people make a team like it. Yeah, but. But anyway, we praise God for you. Well, I learned how to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. That's right. That's right. It always works good. <laughs> All right. Well, praise God. Amen. We got any birthdays? Anybody? Okay. All right. Prayer requests this morning. Yes, sir. Pray for Anya. Anybody else? Yes, Miss Charlotte. Yes, ma'am. Pray for your neighbor, Winona. Oh, yes, ma'am. We're just praying for him faithfully. We're going to keep doing it. All right. I know I know that'll be a relief to you. <laughs> Very much. Amen. And I know y'all are looking forward to seeing that baby girl, too. Amen. We all are. Anybody else? Anything else? Prayer requests? Y'all remember pray for me Tuesday. I'm going in. I'm having a little procedure done. I'm having a little something taken off my chest. Just pray that goes well. I'm doing have done in office in the doctor's office, and I hope he knows what he's doing. So, y'all just pray all that works smooth. Anybody else? Anything else before we go to the Lord? Okay. Okay. All right. Yes, ma'am. Uh, praise the Lord. I go see Dr. Kelly. Okay. But everything will be okay. Yes, ma'am. Sure will. The cancer checkup. Okay. Anybody else before we go to the Lord in prayer? Just remember, pray for everybody. Everybody's got stuff on their shoulders. Everybody's got everybody's got heavy loads. We just pray one for another. That's what the Bible tells us to do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Robert, lead us in prayer. Lord. Amen. You can be seated.
we got one coming in the door. Praise the Lord. Bye. 
just so we kind of have a reference point, but I think I can do it without that. But as we talked last week, I, I told you about Stephen standing. Uh, I told you about how, you know, up until that point, God could have brought the millennial kingdom into Israel. There's something I want you to notice that there's some interesting things that, that God did with Israel. God didn't just give Israel one chance when it comes to Jesus. I want you to realize that, that the Jews rejected Jesus three times. Three times. And I, I, I'll give them to you. Number one, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, God sent John the Baptist. The Father sent John the Baptist to the Jews to, to make straight the way, the coming of the Lord. And when, and when the religious leaders, and, that, and again, we're talking about the nation of Israel, Okay, the, the, the gospel of the kingdom was to the nation of Israel. And if they had accepted their Messiah, then Jesus would then have set up his millennial kingdom on earth, but they refused it. And because they refused it, God shed his grace upon the Gentiles, and here we sit this morning as a result of it, and thank God for that. But God sent John in Matthew 3... Verse 7 through 9, the religious leaders went out and heard John. The Bible says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. That's a bad way to dress somebody, ain't you? You're just a bunch of snakes, fellas. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? They didn't come out there because they were interested in repentance. They didn't come out there because they were earnestly awaiting the Messiah. They didn't come because they thought, well, maybe this is he. They came out there because they were nosy, and they wanted to know what the stir was going on down at the Jordan River and the reason all these people were not at the temple but were down there with this rough old boy out there in the woods named John. Okay? So he told them, he said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. If you're going to come down here, come down here with a broken and a contrite heart wanting to get right with God. He said, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God's able to these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And then I want to remind you what Luke says in Luke 7, 33. The Bible says, for John the Baptist came neither eating nor eating bread nor drinking wine. This is what Jesus said, and ye say, he hath a devil. So if they said that John the Baptist had a devil, did they accept what John the Baptist had to say? No, they refused it. They said, that's a message straight out of hell. We're not going to listen to this message about there's one coming, okay? We're not interested in that. We've got our religion. We find the way we are. Well, secondly, what did God do? God sent his son. God sent his son. Matthew 12, 20, 22 through 24, the Bible says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. The religious leaders not only had said that John the Baptist had a devil, 
Now they turn around and what do they say? Jesus has a devil. So number one, first strike, they refused John the Baptist. Number two, second strike, they refused Jesus and crucified him. But then we come to their third strike. God sent, sent Stephen preaching. In Acts 7, 51 through 58, Stephen said, He stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. In other words, you're not wanna, you don't want to hear it and you don't want to believe it. He said, You always resist the Holy Ghost. Again, they resisted the Father, they resisted the Son. He said, You always resist the Holy Ghost as your Father did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears, ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes the young man's feet named Saul. So number one, they refused John. Number two, they refused Jesus. And thirdly, they refused the Holy Ghost. They refused the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay? But before Stephen was stoned, God was still trying to get the nation of Israel saved. He was trying to get the nation of Israel to accept Jesus as the Messiah and the, and the kingdom to come. That's what Peter, James, and John were doing in Acts chapters 1 through 5. You never hear one single Gentile mention in, in Acts 1 through 5. It's all about the Jews. God is still dealing with his people from one chapter 1 to chapter 5. Then we came along to chapter 6, and then we ran into some Grecians. Okay? The Bible said there in Acts 6, 1, it said in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. These are former Gentiles. They used to be Gentiles, but now they have become proselytes. They have believed in Judaism, and they have gotten... They have become well, they become Jews is what they've done, and uh, they become Jewish believers. But they had become Jewish they had become Jews first, and now they become believers. But realize we've got two of the different groups addressed that came out of Noah. I want you to notice the first five chapters of the Book of Acts are to the Jews. These are the sons of Shem. Okay. Now here in chapter six, we're dealing with. Grecians, which were former Gentiles, so we have the, the people from Japheth. That's the, the people of the European nation. And then we're going to get over to chapter 8 a little bit. We're going to run into Philip, and Philip's going to run across the Ethiopian. Ethiopian was black. So right there you see God dealing with the descendants of Shem, the descendants of Ham, and the descendants of Japheth with the gospel. Isn't that cool how that works? Amen. I think that's awesome how God does these things. Amen. Uh, Another thing that you might realize, that before, say, chapter 13 of the book of Acts, God is dealing with the nation, still dealing with the nation. He, 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 but when we get over around chapter 13, he begins to deal with people on an individual basis. So God's attention shifted from the nation of Israel to individuals. 
Also, another thing there in the dividing line 13, I'm fixing to get into the message, but I just want you to see these things, how we're transitioning from the Jews to the Gentiles. God has an order and a pattern, and everything works just like he wants it to work. But sometimes when we're, we're going at it with the, with the American Christian mindset, we forget that God's dealing with different people, and we need to look at it and see these things. But back before, back before chapter 13, when he's dealing primarily with the Jews, the message is about who Jesus is. It's all about who he is, that he's the son of God, that he is the Messiah. But when you get over to about chapter 13, Paul makes it clear that it's now about what he has done. Okay? Before they're trying to prove to the Jews who didn't believe he was the Messiah that he was the Messiah. Well, now we're going, he's got, the gospel has gone to the Gentiles, and it's now pointing back on what he has done. So, so it's focused instead on him being the Lamb of God. It's focused on his blood that was shed for our sins. So... And we can look at that. We'll look over in, in, in Revelation 1.5. I've got a couple of verses before we get into the message. And uh, believe me, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'll have enough time for the message. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1.5, the Bible said, And from Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So the emphasis then over when it comes to the Gentiles, when it comes to the, the modern church age, the emphasis is on faith in his blood, okay? And we can also look at that in Romans 3.25. I'll look at that real quick. Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25, which says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Again, the book of Acts is a transitional book, and we need to see that transition if we're going to understand it clearly. But we're going to we're going to look this morning, take a look over there in Acts chapter Acts chapter eight. Last week we're in verses one through four, and uh, we talked about God's outreach program, how God scattered the church into all the world through persecution. And we're, we're going to look this morning at Philip as he goes down into Samaria. So let's look there, beginning of verse 5, chapter 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Again, he's gone to who? Who did he go to in Samaria? Do you know who he went to in Samaria? The Samaritan people were half Jews. They, they were a people who had come out of Assyria. They settled there. And the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't jive very well. Uh, the, the, the Samarit- Again, the Jews really weren't accepting of the Samaritans, even though they had converted to Judaism. And there was a rivalry between the, the two ethnicities and the, and the Samaritans that even built their own rival temple, temple in Mount Gerasim. I think that's how you say it, Gerasim. But uh, so anyway, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's some difference in them. But, but he preached Christ. Unto him. Now, was he? Was he again? He's preaching what? He's preaching who Jesus is. Did he preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? I believe that was a part of his message because Philip certainly knew that Jesus had been crucified, that he'd been buried, and he'd been raised from the dead. But his main message was to those Jews that he is the Messiah. Look at John chapter four. John chapter four. In verse 25, 
And John chapter 4 and verse 25 is all about where Jesus walked to Sychar's well. And he met that woman who was out there in the heat of the day getting water because she was a notorious woman about town. And uh, in chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus is addressing her, and she's already talked to him like she's trying to tell him, you know, we, you know. well, let me just back up and read it. She said in verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but she say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. See, there was a difference of opinion. They had Mount Gerasim, and, of course, they were in Jerusalem with the, with the real temple. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, now listen to what she said to him, I know that Messiah cometh which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. Of course, Jesus said, I, I speak to, to thee and me. But they had been looking for the Messiah. If you can say anything about the Samaritan people, they, unlike many of the Jews in Jerusalem, they were eagerly looking for the Messiah. And so we see that when it says that he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and notice what it says in verse 6. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So again, the Jews require a sign, right? But the Greeks seek after wisdom. That's why God has given Philip miraculous miracle-working power because to impress upon these Jews that, yes, this is truly God's power at work, and yes, those things attest to the words that Philip speaks, and all in one mass, they said, hey, this guy's telling the truth. This is the Messiah. He, he fulfills every... You, remember, Philip had been there with Jesus after the resurrection when Jesus had told them all those things pertaining to the kingdom. Philip knew all those things. And so he's sharing all the things that Jesus shared with those disciples after his resurrection with these people down here in, in Samaria. And they all in mass said, yes, we believe. Yes, we receive him. He is our Messiah, and we believe on him. So, with one accord, they believed. Then we get down to verse 7. And the Bible says, For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsy, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, here's the miracles he did. He began doing miracles, and all of a sudden, I mean, there was people, I must have been quite a scene, to be honest with you. I've never personally witnessed an unclean spirit come out of somebody, but it says they came out crying with a loud voice. These people screaming as these things were coming out of them. That shakes you up. You've seen that. You know, I'm gonna, I don't I won't make anybody mad this morning, but I'm going to tell you something. When I read about unclean spirits, you know what the first thing pops in my mind is? Halloween. Halloween. Halloween's all about spirits. Those aren't holy spirits that Halloween's all about. 
These are these unclean spirits that God drives out of people, not invites in. The Bible says they were possessed, which means these spirits were in control of them, which means maybe that ain't something that believers ought to be participating in. Maybe that's not something. If God is not in, if God doesn't want people being filled with spirits like that, if God wants those things out, if these things are possessing or controlling these people's lives, maybe we ought not glorify and make a market of these unholy things that God's against. I'm just saying we're going to look at a little more of that in this. Many taken with palsies that had diseases and things that were lame, they, they, they couldn't walk. All of a sudden, just like the man outside the beautiful gate, they were up on their feet rejoicing and praising God. And the Bible says that there was great joy in that city. The great power of God was at work. Revival was taking place down in Samaria. And I mean, the whole city must have been in an uproar because, I mean, in mass people are getting saved. What a great culture change took place because God moved in in the city of Samaria. Things were happening everywhere. There was excitement in the air. You know what the Bible says? Though? I know, when I, again, I'm, I'm going I'm to hammer on this because I'm here. But over in 2 Corinthians 6, and I know you all know what it says, but I'm going to read it again because I want because God brought this out in my mind because here we are in mid-October, and in a couple more weeks, everybody's going to be wrapped up in it. But the Bible says over in 1 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That means don't engage in activities with unbelievers. Then when it comes down to verse 17, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. What unclean thing? Forbidden things is what it's talking about. He said, And I'll receive you, and I'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God says, If we will come out from the world and the worldly ungodly activities, then we can have fellowship and have the right proper relationship with God. Now look at verse 9. There was a certain man named Simon, which before time, in other words, before Philip got there, in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. So we see witchcraft at work. We see sorcery. Sorcery means he was a he was a warlock. He was a he was some kind of a wizard. This doesn't mean the guy was down on the corner doing card tricks and and you know pulling pulling handkerchiefs out of his mouth and things of that nature. This meant this man was practiced in the black arts. I don't know if y'all I don't know if y'all know the name of the guy named David Blaine. He's a he's a magician in America. I, I've seen the man sit there and pull frog after frog after live frogs. I mean, dozens and dozens out of his mouth. Uh, he was able to uh, stand on top of a, a column like thirty forty feet in the air and stayed there for I can't remember like weeks without food and water. I mean, this man he works under the power of Satan. There's no there's no doubt whatsoever in my mind. I mean, but people are enamored with his his stuff. There was used to be a guy on TV by the name of Chris Angel, and he was able to levitate himself up off the ground. When you're able to do things, you can't do that by, by normal powers. The devil has to be at work in that somehow or another. That's the kind of thing that this guy had going on. And, and, I, and I'm just going to say this for the record, but 
during my time playing rock and roll and all that, I, I, I had a friend, and he got all up into witchcraft and sorcery and things of that nature, and he really thought he was something, just like Simon thought he was too. It'll make you, it'll make your head swell. It'll make you feel like you've got power over people. That's the whole point of black magic is to control people, control their minds. Uh, hypnosis and those types of things, all that's involved in black magic. And again, black magic's all caught up in this time of year. And God's not for that stuff, folks. I'm not, I'm not mad at you I, I, about it, but I want you to know, listen, I got saved because of Halloween. The night before, I, I got out looking at all that stuff, and I got to realize, that looks like hell to me, and it reminded me of the fact that I was headed there, and it, it, and that's what drove me to, to come into Christ, is realizing that that hellish myth has no part in my life. So anyway, the Bible said that they all gave heed to Simon, and he's known in history as Simon Magus, which means Simon the Sorcerer. And they all gave him heed. They listened to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. They were ignorant of it. They just saw miraculous things, and they said, this man, again, the Jews require what? A sign. So it's easy for them to get caught up in magic, isn't it? Because these miraculous things he was doing, I said, well, it's obviously God's power. The Bible said unto him they had regard. In other words, he amazed them. That's one of those magicians that say, the amazing this or the amazing that, because it just puts you in a state of amazement. Because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. The Bible says in verse 12, but when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now what does that mean? That means he was preaching that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus is coming again. He's preaching things regarding the second coming of Christ. He said in the name of Jesus. What do we know about the name of Jesus? There is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So he's preaching to them. He is the Messiah. He is coming again, and he's the only way of salvation. And the Bible says when they heard that, when he had preached that, they were baptized. What does that mean? That means they believed in what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, verse 13, then Simon himself believed also. The sorcerer. The Bible says he believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, that word right there is important, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, the Bible where it says that, that he he continued with Philip. So he, he, he stayed around Philip. He watched Philip. He, he, he followed. He was a follower. He got saved, and he began following Philip around and, 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 and watching all the things that was going on with Philip. And he, the Bible said he wondered, which means he was amazed. He had been amazing everybody else, but now he's sitting there dumbfounded watching Peter, I mean, Philip doing miracles, and he's, he's sitting there dumbfounded and amazed himself. And the Bible said in signs, the signs, he watched the miracles, the signs which were done. That word miracles there, remember our two words, dunamis and exousius? What, what does dunamis mean? Explosive power, demonstration of, of power. Exousius means authority. So this is dunamis. So he's watching this miraculous power of God. I mean, this is power he's witnessing. And the Bible says in verse 14, 
Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they heard there's a revival going on down there. They sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, don't let that confuse you. You can't get the Holy Ghost twice, okay? The moment a person gets saved, the Holy Ghost of God moves in and lives in a believer's body. He ain't never going to leave. But there is a second thing that can take place in a believer's life regarding the Holy Ghost of God, and that is when that person gets endued with power by the Holy Ghost to serve God. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who got saved and never done a blip of nothing for God in their whole Christian life, and I know you know that's true. Why is that? It's because they don't understand about the endowment of power that the Holy Ghost of God, that God wants you to have with the Holy Ghost of God so that you're able to be a powerful force in this world for Jesus Christ and let him flow through you to other people, to let him use you for his glory. That's what God wants to do, and you can't do that in your flesh. You have got to do it in Holy Ghost power, or you can't do it at all. That's what this whole Bible study is about. It's what this whole sermon series is about, about believers having the power of God in their lives that we might make changes in this world for Christ's glory and for his kingdom. So <clears throat> Peter and John came down, and Philip had preached Christ to them, and they had believed, and they'd been baptized. But guess what? Wasn't nobody out working for God doing nothing. He hadn't preached to them that you're going to have to have power to do these things yet. Now, why didn't Philip preach that to them? I don't know why Philip didn't preach that to them. But he hadn't, evidently. The Bible said he was falling upon none of them yet. They had not had an outpouring of the Spirit of God like they had at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So these disciples went to them, and they laid their hands on those believers. I don't believe they just touched them. I believe they laid their hands on them, and they prayed for them, for God to use them in his ministry, for God to give them the Holy Ghost power, endowment of power, an outpouring of Holy Ghost power, for service, which he put on any one of you this morning, if you got on your knees and humbled yourself before God and cried out for it this morning, God will do that in your life or my life or anybody else's life. Somebody is hungry to do something for God. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And Simon was watching all this. And the Bible says in verse 18 that when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered money. He whooped out his billfold and said, Hey, give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. Uh, now, when he said power there, it's, it's exclusive. He said, Hey, guys, here's a bunch of money. If you'll give me that authority, I, will, I can go do what y'all do. Now, what's wrong with that? There's a lot wrong with that, ain't there? Number one, you ain't going to buy God's power. God's not for sale. There's a whole lot of people been in a whole lot of churches that slashed their money and got a lot of positions that they never could have had because they had a little influence. You know what that's called? There's a word for that. It's called simony. 
You know where it comes from? This guy. Hey, did you know, and, I, and of course we talked about Catholicism this morning, I'm far from a Catholic as you can be, but did you know that the Pope's position in times past has been for sale? Did you know down through history, the highest bidder bought the office of the Pope and sat on, on the, the throne, the ungodly throne of the pontiff, whatever his name is? <clears throat> so he's asking him, he said, you just give me this authority, I'll pay for it. Look, verse 20, it got ugly. <laughs> it got ugly. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. I think about this for a second. I'm in a relationship with Christ. Amen. He's the bridegroom and I'm the bride. Amen. He's the bridegroom you're the bride. There's a relationship there. There is a loving relationship there. I can tell you that, that was almost akin to somebody walking up to Peter and saying, hey, man, how much for your wife? I'm going to tell you, it cut to the core with Peter. I mean, it infuriated Peter a little bit, and Peter got upset, and he said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. In other words, you and your money can go to hell, buddy. You and your money can rot. He said, Because thou thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Look at Matthew 16, 23. Turn over real quick with me. Matthew 16, 23. You know what, though? It's, it's hard to rebuke as Peter gave him. It kind of reminded me of something. Matthew 16, 33. I say Matthew 16, 33. 23, there ain't no 33. <clears throat> this is an exchange between Peter and Jesus. Look at what Jesus said to Peter. Look, well, actually... Let's, let's, let's back up there to verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, talking about Jesus, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You're not going to be crucified. And Peter turned around, and Jesus turned around and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me, for thou savest not that, that things that be of God, but those that be of men. Jesus turned and ripped Peter's head off. Sounds very similar to what Peter did to Simon. He trying to rip Simon's head off. And here's what he said in verse 21. He said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And there have been people that read that and said, See, there he wasn't even saved. I don't believe that. When he says, Thou hast neither part, that means you can't participate in what we're doing. You cannot, you are not called of God to go around laying hands on people and, 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 and then receiving the Holy Ghost. And he said, and you can't even participate and have the power of the Holy Ghost on your life either. You ain't got no lot in this either because your heart ain't right with God. I'm going to tell you something, neighbor. If your heart ain't right with God, you ain't going to get down here and get on your knees and thank God the Holy Ghost power. Either. If there's something in our heart, if there's something in our heart that ain't right with God, we're not going to be filled with the Spirit of God. Do we have him living inside of us? Yes. But is he going to control us? Absolutely not. We can turn our nose up to what Simon Magus did here. We can say, that was a terrible man, but in truth, sometimes we're just the same. No, we're not into witchcraft. No, we was maybe we didn't come from that. But just because we sin different from somebody else don't make us better than nobody else. He said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right with the sight of God. 
Verse 22, repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Peter gave him a rebuke. He gave him a stern rebuke. I'm going to tell you something. I, in a way, though, I'm a, I know you say, preacher, you shouldn't be taking Simon, but I'm going to tell you something. In a way, I understand Simon. I understand why he got where he was at. <laughs> you look at where Simon came from. Simon has been all about Simon. Simon's world was all about Simon. Simon had power. Simon had control. Simon benefited greatly from the things that he was doing before. And Simon sat there watching the things of God, not fully understanding everything he was witnessing. And I'm going to tell you the reason why the Bible says, I mean, the Bible doesn't say, but there's a saying that says, the idle hands do the devil's business. People that have been saved from a grievous life, a grievous sin, those people need to be careful once they get saved. You know, you Maybe you weren't say maybe you weren't a terrible sinner. Maybe all you ever did is you get a little jealous and have an attitude with people every now and then. Well, that, that you might ought to watch that because if you're not careful, you get depressed. You might have to go back to being that. Or maybe you had a gambling problem. Well, you get in your flesh, or you might be tempted to go casino or whatever it might be. You maybe use a horrible glutton before you got saved, and every now and then you pass a buffet and you think, "Boy, I could." Do some damage. But maybe if you came from a life of witchcraft, and if you weren't careful and you sat and let your mind wander, you might start thinking, hmm, man, this power, it's something else. I, I'm used to that. I'm used to that power. I, I, I could do this. I, I think I could be like them. That's what happened, Simon. I've, I have done what you've done. I did it different, but I've done it before. I think I could do that. What happened? Pride got on him. His pride of what he used to be. He used to have prestige. You remember everybody in the whole community used to look up to him. Why? Because they were believing that he had the power of God. When he got saved, immediately that power was gone. His prestige was gone. He was just a humble follower. And he let his flesh get to him and began to tell him, hey, you could have that power again, except differently. What I get from that, I get this. When you have come from something grievous, a grievous lifestyle, a grievous sin, you need to be held accountable. You need to have somebody you go to and say, hey, I, I, I listen, this is my weakness in life, and I need an accountability partner. I need somebody who's going to keep an eye on me. If you begin to see me slip, you need to give me a rebuke and let me know. Pray for me. I see here a man who needed somebody to pray for him. I see here a man who needed somebody to be an accountability partner. He needed somebody to watch him and, and keep an eye on him. What did Peter say to him? He said, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. In the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. What did that gall of bitterness come from? Jealousy. Everybody looks up to y'all. Peter, John, 
Y'all got this miraculous power. Hmm, I wish I had that. I wish everybody looked up to me like they look up to y'all. I just don't think it's fair that I lost all the power I had in my life. You see, unless a person submits themselves to God, can't do a thing for God. But there's still a desire to do something. But when you try to do it in your strength, guess what happens? You make a disaster. If there was ever in the Bible an example, a prime example of somebody trying to serve God, trying to do something in their own power, there it is. God is not for that. God is not in favor of us trying to please him in our flesh. God has given us everything we need to be powerful for him. He's given us everything we need to be famous, not here, but in heaven. He said, you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity because you look back and say, I used to have this, 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 this before I got saved. It's got you bitter. It's got you bitter before God. It's got you bitter toward God. He looked back on the world. He looked back on his old life. He looked back on what he used to be and what he used to enjoy, and he missed that life. And I say to you again this morning, we need to look around at the things that we allow ourselves to go back to. We need to look and see the things that we allow ourselves to go back and be involved in because God has called us out of that. He said to come out from among them and be you separate. We can't come out from among them and be you separate and love the world at the same time and love the things of the world and love what the world loves. If we begin to do that, we will have a, that gall of bitterness get in us against God because, God, you don't want me having fun. God, you don't want me doing anything. God, you want me to live this stodgy life. No, God doesn't. God wants you to have victory. God wants you to enjoy his mercy and his love and his grace. He wants you right up next to him. He wants to use you. He wants you to see what satisfaction truly is, which is being used, having the hand of God on you. And when Peter told him that, and I'm closing, then answered Simon and said, Pray you to the Lord for me. Pray you to the Lord for me. That none of these things that you've spoken come upon me. I read a commentator who said obviously he wasn't saved because he wasn't he wasn't praying on his own behalf. He was just saying, well, y'all pray for me. But I don't think that was his attitude at all. I think because he was at the point he was, because he was full of himself and he knew that there was wrong in his life and he knew he knew that what he was I mean when when he was rebuked of the when he was rebuked of the disciples when they laid that on him I believe he got convicted over his sin he said pray for me I don't see it as a negative at all folks I don't see him asking for prayers a negative at all matter of fact I think that's the best thing he could have done because the Bible tells us over in James chapter 5 and 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I don't know where you are in your Christian life. I don't know. I have no clue. I see you here week after week talk to you, but I don't follow you around. I don't 
check you out with a microscope. I don't know where your Christian life is exactly, but I can tell you this. I, know, I do know this for sure. If you're seeking after the Lord, if you're seeking to follow him, if it's a, if it's a pattern in your life, if you're constantly hungry and thirsting for more of Jesus, you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. And, I'll, and if you'll stay on that trail, you're going to wind up in your life having been used of God with rewards waiting on you in heaven and security. But I can tell you this, if we start looking back, and the reason I say this, listen to me, this world is changing rapidly. Our nation is changing rapidly. It's going to become harder and harder and harder to maintain a Christian life before men. If we begin to get discouraged and say, God, I didn't know it was going to be this hard, sir. I didn't understand it was going to be this difficult to be a Christian, we will begin looking back at our own lives and say, you know, it was easier when I hung out with those people, when I didn't stand for anything, so nobody looked at me crossways. It was easier then. You know, I used to have have a good reputation amongst those people that hate me now. You know, maybe if I backed off a little, maybe maybe I could have some more friends in my life. Maybe if I wasn't so, maybe if I wasn't such a Bible thumper, you know, maybe people wouldn't look at me like I was odd. Be careful. Because what happens when we begin to look back and we begin to, you remember what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back? God's not about looking back. God's not about turning around. There's no armor that God lists in that armor over there in the New Testament where it talks about the the helmet and the breastplate and all that. There's no armor on the back. We can't turn around. There's no looking back. Come out from among them and be separate. And he says, I'll be a father unto you. So the the notion is coming out and moving on forward straight on into the father's arms. And I urge you this morning, because, again, this world's getting darker and darker and darker. It's getting harder and harder and harder to continue on to what, just, just the way things have been. Make up your mind this morning that you want revival in your heart, that you're not looking to, to, to regress. You're looking to go forward, that you want God's power, that you want the Spirit of God to, to empower your life for service, that you want God to... To, to be able to use you for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, so that someday when you stand before him, he'll say to you, well done, that good and faithful servant. This morning I urge you, do business with the Lord. Turn it over to him. Whatever your burden is this morning, whatever whatever may be calling to you from, from way back yonder, tell it no this morning. Tell it you ain't got any business there. You don't want that bond of iniquity in your heart. You don't want to feel yourself estranged from the Lord and, 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 and feeling like you can't talk to him. You don't want that. Come out from among all that. And let's, let's, let's get our eyes on Jesus. Let's stand together. We're going to sing number 394. 394. The invitation is open. If God's got something on your heart and he wants to deal with you, I heard you come and do business for the Lord this morning. Father, we ask you, Lord, bless the invitation now. Lord, bless us as we go from here. Father, take care of each one of us. Lead us and guide us, Lord. We walk in a, in a day and time amongst many pitfalls. Lord, against many traps. 
many things, many deceivers amongst us today. Lord, help us to keep our, our eyes on Christ and our ears open to the, to the Word of God, what, what you have to say to us. Help us be careful to follow you. We love you. We thank you. Bless the invitation now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 394, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will never love and trust Him. Lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.